Welcome to Checkmates Go! Season 2, Episode 3. With all the uncertainty related to the coronavirus, a lot of organizations are asking their employees to work from home. As a result, there's been a lot of attention given to remote access technology. Unfortunately, nefarious actors are also paying attention to remote access infrastructures, and it's definitely not for our benefit. I talked with Tim Otis and Ray Shippers from the Checkpoint Incident Response Team about some of the things that they're seeing out there and what you can do to protect yourself. Here's Ray Shippers. The Checkpoint Incident Response Team is responding to multiple uh, attacks now against remote access systems, and we're also seeing a lot of intelligence requests uh, from organizations concerned about it. Uh, we're seeing various states-backed uh, APTs using it uh, and likely other groups as well. So we're definitely seeing more and more attacks against remote access. Uh, and with the current uh, coronavirus uh, going on, we see a lot of organizations stepping up their uh, remote access capabilities uh, and uh, even forcing their uh, users to start using remote access rather than coming into the office. So it's definitely an interesting time for organizations trying to balance security of remote access with uh, enabling the business as well. How are these attacks manifesting? So, if, you know, if I'm a if I'm a security admin looking at the, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know my my remote access infrastructure, what am I going to be finding if somebody's trying to compromise it? That uh, might be uh, uh, that might lead me to believe that it it is actually being compromised. Yeah. So the uh, most common thing that we're seeing is uh, exploitation of the uh, Citrix uh, and uh, Fortinet Palo Alto Juniper VPN vulnerabilities. So in those cases, you'll just start to see uh, the accounts used uh, especially for authentication service accounts for those devices start to get used elsewhere in your network. We also are seeing brute force attacks. Uh, that's a pretty, pretty much everyday kind of occurrence, password stuffing attacks. Uh, and in those cases, then you'll just see a lot of failed logon attempts uh, with a successful one uh, afterwards. But we're, we're definitely starting to see a lot of these attacks. We, we respond, and also as soon as the vulnerabilities are announced, we're starting to see the time to between the vulnerability being released, proof of concept becoming available, and attack starting, no longer being you know days or weeks, uh, and it's now down to hours. Um, t- Tim just worked a case uh, where a customer was compromised within a few hours of of the initial exploit. It doesn't take long at all. We're not just uh, the Citrix vulnerability, but several in the last year-ish or two, and even be longer. But the time it takes folks to weaponize and then find vulnerable systems is dramatically reduced by stuff like Shodan and Census, where you can just find if you if you know a Citrix version is vulnerable and you can just grep Shodan and get a list of stuff that is and just go attack it. It's really really easy. And the other thing as well, like now with the um, with the Microsoft Exchange vulnerability, uh, again, people are seemingly a bit slow to patch on that, uh, and the bad guys are actively scanning, looking for vulnerable uh, Microsoft Exchange servers because it uh, sounds like it's a reasonably easy uh, exploitation at this stage uh, for remote code execution on Exchange. Is there any sort of unique, uh, I don't know, exploits that can occur with remote access that are that you might not see somewhere else, or, or you know what? You know, once they get in with remote access, uh, you know, obviously they can get into whatever that end user can get into, or if it's, um, you know, I guess if, if I guess if they are able to root the remote access server, then they can do all, you know, then then it becomes, uh, you know, a little easier to pivot and potentially move around things. So I could see. So, uh, um, what kind of damage are we seeing, uh, or you know, you know, money or whatever are we seeing? 
being uh, exfiltrated or or you know or you know things being compromised what are we seeing that's coming through these remote access vulnerabilities yeah, typically it's it's pretty much complete network uh, compromise because they are concentration points for authentication. So because everyone is logging in, including people who would then go on to do administrative activities and have admin rights, uh, it typically ends up very quickly in a full compromise of the network because they can sit on the box, uh, read all the credentials being entered in most cases, and as a result, uh, then use the credentials to move laterally inside of the environment. And also with uh, a lot of cloud services these days, so we're seeing a lot of attackers using uh, services like Ngrok, where uh, even if a service wasn't published, uh, sorry, a service inside wasn't published externally, they they then install these little agents that talk back out to these cloud services and they can then pivot through those cloud services back into the network. So once they have an initial foothold, uh, it's getting easier and easier for these uh, attackers to start moving laterally through the environment. Yeah, and and especially with uh, you know, the remote access you know, things that have been around for a while. In some cases, I mean, uh, I don't want to mention names, but a particular uh, I know a particular company had an issue for a year um, before they announced it, and they they had silently fixed it, but didn't actually tell customers that that this issue existed. It seemed like that, uh, you know, and then and then you add on top of that that organizations are potentially slow to patch, and and then you end up, uh, you know, it's a recipe for, uh, as I like to say, goatsy and fail. Yeah, and also what we're seeing is, uh, obviously, now that you're starting to rely on this security of your end users' devices at home, which uh, would probably not be as secure as uh, your corporate machines, um, it starts to get really entertaining because now if you don't have multi-factor on your uh, remote access capabilities, then somebody just needs a key logger on their home device and they can lose the uh, username and password and the bad guys can start uh, accessing your network as well that way. So definitely significantly increases the exposure of most organizations. With more and more people working at home these days, there's a lot more stress on the remote access infrastructure. There's also a lot more poking and prodding by malicious actors, and it's one of those things that you can't just shut down, right? Because it's gonna it's gonna take then, uh, you know, it's gonna it's gonna impact business by uh, by a huge factor. So, you know, aside from patching, right, which is kind of the uh, you know the obvious thing that we need to do, what what are um, some of the thing? What are some of the things that organizations should be doing to really protect themselves from this uh, from the the threats that are out there? And uh, you know, in, in that are where there's remote access hacking. Uh, you know, just I mean, what can organizations do? I think yes, yeah, so definitely multi-factor authentic. Yeah, go ahead, Tim. No, sir, please. MFA Ray was going down that road is really important. Um, and still, def- like a defense in depth approach, least privilege. Like if I if I am able to compromise a user in a remote access system, and I'm just a a user who can access one utility resource inside versus being an admin of the whole network. Um, but putting all those kind of building blocks in place of multi-factor, uh, least privilege access only, only allow folks what they really, really need from remote. Um, those, those kind of things are really important. Um, and network segmentation, of course, really simple, but, uh, let, let's not allow folks to remote admin or remote access into machines they don't need to and networks that are joined that don't need to be. 
And, and not only that, I mean, it's just they're accessing data that they don't need to access or, or, or so on, right? Or, or things that have, that have critical access and sometimes location matters, right? I mean, I know we're, we're all, you know, all three of us are all over the place, for example. And, you know, there's, there's certain things, uh, you know, that, that we don't need to have access to that are, that are, that are critical. But, uh, um, yeah, that it's, you know, location matters. It can only access certain things from certain locations. It's, it's, you know, yeah, we say location doesn't matter, but some cases it does. Uh, and I think you have to, you have to think about all of those things, I think. Absolutely. And also with the multi-factor, um, trying to stay away from the time-based second factors, um, like SMS, uh, and one-time kind of numbers, uh, where possible, because we are starting to see some replay attacks. Uh, I, I know, um, you know, uh, definitely some of the larger telcos have fallen victim to it, and it's definitely something that I can probably start seeing an increase in uh, as more and more organizations start to look for cheap, easy, multi-factor solutions uh, for remote access. Uh, so using a physical key uh, ideally is best, uh, like a UB key or uh, there's a couple of other brands around as well, like Google has their own. Having a physical key that people plug in and touch uh, is probably the most secure. But yeah, you know, one-time passwords are better than nothing, but uh, we are starting to see attacks against uh, those time-based uh, second factors as well. Yeah, and I, I think with uh, with 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 uh, SMS in particular, uh, we know that SIMs can be you know cloned or jacked or that kind of thing. Uh, there was a there was a guy that uh, had fought with his uh, mobile carrier uh, in the United States and was and. It, it, he basically, somebody kept re uh, trying to move his phone number to uh, a different SIM card, and the carrier sort of let him do that. And so, if you have any sort of two factor where it's SMS, then it's going to go right to that number. So having something, so you know, I mean, yeah, it's better than nothing. But uh, you know, if you can, you know, even even those, um, you know, those time based codes are better than uh, you know not having it at all. And it and it depends on uh, you know again what it, what kind of if we're talking applications in general, you know, not everything can support this so um you know what what else can you do it's again better than nothing but yeah the more the more factors that you have it's of course it's less convenient for users right i mean that's the other thing you got to factor into all of this is what will your users accept as far as um uh, you know authentication mechanisms but uh but thinking about the the servers themselves um is there anything in particular that organizations can be doing uh to to protect themselves other you you mentioned other than patching i'm not sure right like um and 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 of course if you have ips or you know some kind of network uh, detection to to monitor for these kind of attacks um that's great and and you know vigilance is key on those logs and watching for that the other thing is is looking for those kind of uh, weird and random services like ngrok like Thing so if a new service if a new application is all of a, all of a sudden fired up on a on a server that definitely should get your attention uh, and with everything going encrypted these days endpoint visibility is becoming more and more important as well and it also helps you kind of catch the behavioral aspects so rather than trying to look for just an indicator of compromise understand the the threat actor behavior um, and the types of techniques they're using rather than you know a specific hash. Uh, gives you a much better fighting chance. And as Tim said earlier as well, just segmentation, just preventing systems that don't need to talk to each other from talking to each other 
uh, helps a lot. Yeah, with a lot of organizations being in the cloud now, I mean, there's not maybe remote access is a different uh, is a different beast for some organizations. So traditional remote access is for you know really for organizations that have a lot of infrastructure still on premise, right? That that they're trying to make available remotely. But uh, um, is there anything unique, perhaps, in a cloud environment where okay, all of the stuff is accessed in the you know from the cloud, and, and you know, is there anything um, there that uh, perhaps is unique if if things are in the cloud? Not really. Um, like a lot of just be cognizant of the fact that whilst your cloud provider will secure the actual cloud platform, you're still responsible for security within your tenancy. That's a mistake that we see a lot of people making in cases that we investigate. But also just, um, you know, you still need the segmentation. You still need the least privilege. Uh, we've had quite a number of cloud cases where, uh, you know, it's a company born in the cloud, as they like to say, cloud native. And they've been compromised because uh, they had overly permissive API keys and things like that floating around, uh, which let the bad guys uh, have a field day inside of their network. Obviously, that's uh, what, that's what we're trying to avoid with all this stuff. So it's uh, you know uh, you you want to let the good guys in, but keep the bad guys out. It's a, so it's a it's definitely a balancing act. Yeah, and again, just you know, uh, just multi-factor, making sure you you know how it's all configured. Uh, like with Office three six five, just enabling multi-factor doesn't actually stop the legacy services, which allows MFA bypass. So just making sure you've uh, gone through and understood your footprint and how it's all uh, hanging together uh, is critical. I guess one thing I can think of is uh, making sure that uh, with, on the remote access that you've disabled things that you you don't need, right? Because there are many ways to do remote access. And if you don't need to allow a particular type of client to connect, uh, you might want to just disable that, right? And just make it make it so that, uh, you know, if you don't, you know, if your remote access solution supports like PPTP or L2TP or something, uh, you might want to disable that if you don't actually need it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just reduce the attack surface as much as possible and only have what you really need to have and uh, in- inspect as much as you can. Thank you for listening to this episode of Checkmates Go. You can subscribe in your favorite podcast app. You can also send us feedback via email at checkmates at checkpoint.com. Thanks for listening.